Hi, I'm Channing. And I'm Elise. And this is the Faithful Feminist Podcast. We focus on feminist interpretation of scriptures and follow the LDS Come Follow Me manual as a guide for study. We understand that scriptures can be a tricky endeavor for readers, but we also believe sacred texts contain really compelling examples of loving and liberating relationships with the divine, others, and ourselves. We hope you'll join us in exploring the problems and promises of sacred text with imagination, critique, and celebration to reveal what we feel is the loving and liberating heart of scripture. While Mormonism, with its iconic floral foyer couches, is our background, we follow our faith and our God on the path of spirituality over institution and connection over condemnation. We are fellow wanderers, weavers, and doubters. If you found yourself feeling too faithful for some and not enough for others, welcome. We've saved you a seat on the soft chairs. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. In this episode, we are covering John chapters 14 through 17 for the dates June 5th through the 11th. In these chapters, Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples, and they're all asking questions and talking about the Holy Ghost. And chapter 17 ends with Jesus's prayer to God. Now, as a PS, we are also going to be taking a break for the month of June. So this means that this is the last episode for a few weeks. While we're away, we're going to be soaking in the summer with travel and family time and just hanging out. And even though we will be away, the Come Follow Me manual, of course, is going to continue on. It's going to cover Jesus's suffering in Gethsemane, the final hours of Jesus's mortal life, and the resurrection. Now, we've actually covered these topics in some of our mini episodes during Holy Week each year. So if you're wanting a little dose of the Faithful Feminists in June, you're always welcome to scroll back and find those episodes. But otherwise, we'll be back in July to finish out the New Testament. Can't wait to see you. And we're just going to dive right into the text this week. So we're going to start in John chapter 14. And what I really loved about this section of the text was seeing the way that the disciples asked question after question of Jesus while he was speaking to them. As readers in the 21st century, we have the benefit of endless commentary and scholarship of the teachings of Jesus, but Judas, Thomas, and Philip are sitting at a dinner table with Jesus who is making comments like, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there may ye be also." The disciples are genuinely confused, and quite frankly, I am too sometimes while reading these chapters. But what I love about this section is that these questions that the disciples are asking are not the same as the questions that the Pharisees or a crowd of people asked, people who purposefully don't listen or don't desire to understand Jesus. Instead, the questions of the disciples are rooted in a genuine desire to understand Jesus. Remember, he just washed their feet. They just ate together. And now he's talking about going away and coming back again. I imagine the disciples really want to know where Jesus is going, what he means when he teaches, and how to do what Jesus asks them to. The disciples are not afraid to continue asking questions of Jesus because I imagine, at this point, he's their friend. They trust that he will answer and that they will come to learn more in time. There is a relationship of trust there, 
and their questions only deepen that relationship. This is a side of discipleship that I don't encounter often in my modern day life. For example, in the LDS Church, the institution is led by people who are said to uphold the role of discipleship to Jesus Christ. But I often ask myself, how often are these leaders asking questions like Philip did, or Thomas, or Judas? In my experience, not super often. Frequently, leaders jump to conclusions based on what they think they know, rather than doing the difficult work of pausing, asking a question, checking for understanding, and then acting in faith to receive an answer. What also came through for me reading these chapters was a meme that I see occasionally that regards the teaching of Jesus Christ as being like himself, but him also being the Holy Ghost and also the Father and then also not any of these things. (laughs) And this is a featured teaching that we read about in John chapter 14. And the meme that I'm referring to essentially says that Christians easily accept a complex concept like Jesus being more than one person or different than the person he's assumed to be. But those same people, many conservative right-wing Christians, simultaneously resist a similar concept as it relates to trans folks, saying that it's impossible to be more or different than what one is assumed to be. This perspective on the text feels especially relevant as we continue to navigate a world where anti-trans hatred and violence is continued on a daily basis and is often done in the name of Christian love. What strikes me here is the disciples' orientation to curiosity rather than certainty. I want to live in a world where Christians act more like the disciples in John chapter 14 where they ask questions and listen intently rather than insisting on having all the answers. I want to live in a world where people listen well and speak blessings, recognizing that we don't always have to understand one another perfectly to love one another perfectly. I want to live in a world where folks continue in his love and keep Jesus' explicit commandment to love one another, where the only question about love is not if I should, but how can I better? And in this context, we wanted to share a prayer that was written for the Trans Day of Remembrance by Jen Luong from Augsburg University. Luong writes, quote, God of all creation, your wisdom, your love, and your mystery are boundless. You have many names, which are beyond all gender expression. We give you thanks for the gift of diverse gender identity, expression, and sexuality, We acknowledge the times we deny that gift by holding too tightly to expectations of conformity and norms. We have created these divisions and use them against one another. We know this is not your will or your way. Help us to act mercifully and show grace to all of your people as you have done for us. O mysterious maker of women, men, all that is in between, outside, and none at all, we come before you today with sorrow in our hearts. We remember those who have lost their lives because they did not conform to the gender roles society expects. We lament at the continued suffering, oppression, rejection, and struggle of our siblings of all gender identities. Grant them strength, support, and love to accept and be accepted for who they are. We acknowledge the harm prejudice and ignorance has knowingly and unknowingly caused. Help soften hearts and give wisdom and understanding that in the sight of God, All are equally beloved simply because of our existence. 
Open hearts and minds to embrace and support one another so that all may let their light shine before others by living out their truth. In the name of the one who is beyond all norm, amen. I'm really glad that you chose to share that prayer at the end of this, at the end of this section of the episode, because I think that it acts as a nice, like contemporary mirror for the prayer that Jesus is offering in chapter 17. So maybe we would encourage listeners to read both of those prayers side by side and to see what comes up for them. Next, I'd like to talk about friendship as it appears in John chapter 15, verses 13 through 15, which is really where Jesus lays out this remarkable definition of what it means to be a friend. First, a friend is someone who, out of great love, is willing to lay down their life for their friends. Second, we're friends of Jesus if we follow his commandments, namely from verse 12, love one another as I have loved you. And finally, in verse 15, Jesus dissolves the hierarchy between Lord and servant or God and follower and instead says, quote, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father, I have made known unto you. Thus, a friend is someone who dissolves power structures and hierarchies from the relationship in an attempt to speak honestly, transparently, and authentically with their own friends. In my own life, I found myself writing about friendship, strangely enough, in relationship to the church or in church spaces. For example, once in defense of Channing, who had experienced like this really painful church discipline, I had found myself writing an open letter to the church about the church's hypocrisy. In their treatment of my friend, they refused to keep the very crucial gospel and friendship commandment to love one another. Among other lines in this letter, I had written, quote, Let us remember that Jesus chose to come to earth not as ruler or Lord, but as friend, end quote. And whether neighbor or stranger, friend or other, we are all called to welcome everyone as friends. A little bit later in 2019, I was asked to give a talk at our stake girls camp, and they let me choose the topic, which was phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) And so I chose to speak on the importance of girl friendships because I was inspired by an unladylike podcast episode. That's the title of the podcast, unladylike. And the episode was called How to Be Girlfriends. And this was a really powerful moment for me and all the girls at camp, not necessarily because like I gave a phenomenal talk or something, but because for the first time that I could recall, friendships between girls and women were being centered, valued, and prioritized in church spaces without being trivialized or dismissed. Of course, there were gospel connections, but I I spent most of this presentation talking about some of the challenges that come with making friends, how to prioritize them, how to love our friends, and then that we should tell our friends that we love them. Of course, there were some gospel connections, but I spent most of this presentation talking about some of the challenges that come along with making friends, how to prioritize friends, how to love our friends, and then that we should tell our friends we love them. At the time, I had turned to Leslie Nope and Ann Perkins from Parks and Rec as two great examples of loving friends, and we also did an activity trying to come up with some outrageously awesome compliments for our own friends, the same way that Leslie says things to Ann like, Ann, you beautiful tropical fish, you're smart as a whip and you're cool under pressure. Or, Anne, you poetic, noble land mermaid. (laughs) So it was a very, very fun activity focused on friendship. And of course, because it was a church camp, I also had a section on what Jesus teaches us about friendship. 
And although I didn't mention his friendship theology about a good friend being someone who would die for you, I did mention that Jesus shows us that good friends teach us to love people for who they are. Good friends mourn with those that mourn and try to comfort them. And good friends take care of their friends courageously. More recently, I've looked to the friendship love models in Abby and Alana from Broad City, Denise and Dev in Master of None, Anna and Maya from Pen15, and Eamon, or, and Eamon and Connor from Sing Street. In them, I find friends that really would die for each other. My own friend Ruth, who on Instagram their handle is Asexual Feelings, has taught me a lot about the importance of friendship or platonic love. Growing up in the church and in society in general, there is this kind of hyper-focus and prioritization on romantic love as the only best and most important type of love and relationship one can have. Thus, within Mormonism, this means that your spouse is supposed to fill the top spot in the relationship hierarchy with that love being the most important love you can have. But if this is the case, then we strip all potency from our friendships because we undervalue them and toss platonic love aside as less than or less than or less fulfilling, meaningful, and important than romantic love. In our daily lives, this can look like people dropping their friends when they find a romantic partner, or making their romantic partner their whole world and closing off other opportunities for, for platonic love. And this phenomenon is called amatonormativity, which is the set of societal assumptions that everyone prospers with an exclusive romantic relationship. Amatonormativity creates arbitrary relationship hierarchies and limits us from imagining all the ways we can love and build meaningful relationships. Now, in one way, we might say that Jesus actually pushes back against amatonormativity when he says, I call you not servants, but I have called you friends because he's trying to dismantle the hierarchy of relationships which deserve respect and importance. Even more, he expands our understanding of friendship not to simply mean a backburner option to romantic relationships, but as an incredibly powerful and courageous act of love that requires us to put our lives on the line for our friends whom we love. Mm, that's so beautiful. And I was like so excited when you pulled this interpretation out from the text because I do think that it's really important to really center that special kind of love and relationship that friendships can bring to our lives. It can only better and beautify um, our experience in the world. Friends, thank you so much for joining us this week for this episode. We are so sad to leave you for the next month, but also we'll be back. So lots of hugs, lots of love. And when we do come back, we have an extra special announcement for you. Until then, bye. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of the Faithful Feminist Podcast. We know your time and space is sacred, and we're grateful to have spent ours with you. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you showed your support by sharing the podcast, leaving us a loving rating on iTunes, or connect with us on Instagram as The Faithful Feminists. We're deeply grateful for your kindness and encouragement. We love you so, so much, and we hope to spend more time with you again soon. Bye, friends! Bye, friends!